You're listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mir, on this Friday morning. So let's turn to the last topic of today's program, and that is Radio for Good. And each week we like to end uh, the week with something good, something positive, and this week is no exception. And this week in the studio with us, we're talking with Helga Vantenort, who's a strategic advisor to Drink Without Waste, which is a local charity dedicated to reducing single-use packaging as well as overall uh, waste from beverages. Welcome to the program, Helga. Really nice to see you in our studio. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, we are live this morning on Facebook and I'd love for our listeners uh, to join us there if they can. Uh, Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3. Um, so first of all, Helga, tell us what is Drink Without Waste? So Drink Without Waste is a, uh, an initiative that is actually coming out of what we call the Beverage uh, Packaging Working Group. Um, and that's a, in itself a broad coalition of a variety of stakeholders from across Hong Kong that are working on reducing waste, as you pointed out, reducing waste from uh, beverage consumption. And so within that initiative, we work on four different broad areas. Um, the strategy, if I may say, is, contains four, four elements. That is reduction, as you might expect, um, redesigning uh, the beverage packaging and the systems around it, recovery, which is about collection of this packaging, and then ultimately recycling, making sure that it does actually end up in a proper recycling process. How did it all start then? You mentioned it was a working group uh, back in 2017. Yeah, already back in 2017. Uh, come a long way. A lot was done since then. So in 2017, a number of uh, a group of NGOs got together with other stakeholders from along the value chain, the beverage value chain. So the beverage companies, uh, the manufacturers and importers, retailers, um, the waste management industry as well. Um, to start tackling this quite important problem for Hong Kong. So actually, by in terms of weight, it doesn't um, show up all that, that prominently in our, in our waste composition for Hong Kong. But in terms of volume, it certainly does. And because of its um, light materials, um, it also just shows up in a lot of places where we do, really don't want to see it on our beaches and the streets um, and in our hills, uh, on our hillside. So really was high time to start tackling that back in 2017. And very quickly, the group realized that um, in order to really make progress on this, there's a lot of actions you can take, one can take. Um, but in order to have a more strategic approach along those four lines, that was the conclusion, actually, of the first piece of work that the uh, group commissioned, which was a research piece with, um, with Deloitte. Um, that took about a year. It was very thorough, lots of stakeholder engagement uh, to really inform what less waste from beverage consumption in Hong Kong uh, could and should look like. What are kind of the, the pillars, right? So the, the four uh, strategies that I pointed out may seem quite superficial, but there's quite a lot of work behind that on what needs to happen uh, for each of those. Remind us again, did you have a target of um, how many tons of reduction? And uh, I think it was 2025. Did you have any any specific goals in mind? Yes, actually quite, uh, quite uh, ambitious targets. Um, uh, were put forward. Um, is it seven? No, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> no, 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 I put you on the spot. Um, no, it's because I, I personally, um, I think it's really good that the group put together a target um, because it's proven time and again that without you know a concrete target, whatever it is you're working on, it you tend to 
you know, slouch off. You tend to, you know, efforts tend to peter out. It really creates focus to have these numbers put forward. However, whether that really is the number, you know, should we be satisfied with 75%? I don't think so. Is that an ambitious number for a voluntary effort? Absolutely. So, so what the number is exactly is, 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 is less relevant than the fact that a really good ambitious number was, was put forward. That's, yeah. I, that's my excuse for not, <laughs> no, no, no. not knowing. I'm going to hear it from my colleagues afterwards. <laughs> so with yeah. some of these uh, four elements that you listed, mm-hmm. how is Drink Without Waste uh, actually working towards it? Do you work with uh, partnering NGOs? Do you work with different groups? Mm, yeah. So we actually have an enormous set of, of capabilities and skills within the group already. Uh, as I said, there is already a lot of NGOs within the group. Um, there's a lot of beverage uh, companies that you know, represent the majority of, of beverage um, uh, production in Hong Kong, also the majority of retail uh, of beverage uh, products in Hong Kong. So that's that's a really great representation to have in-house or on board already. Um, but one additional stakeholder that we've been working with, uh, very importantly, is government. Uh, as part of this work you know, and, and, and reaching those targets, we've identified early on that legislation is required. This is quite unique, actually. It's something that you know a lot of policymakers will not find in other jurisdictions, which is a group that has already hashed out so much of the why and even the how and the how much amongst themselves. Very often, once these policy discussions start, um, you know, taking off, there's a lot of you know pitching of you know they against, them against us and and NGOs against the beverage industry and so on. Here in Hong Kong, there's been so much work done already over the past years that when the policymaking uh, process uh, or you know the, the first drafting started happening um, of of the of the ideas of how this could work uh, to regulate um, uh, this uh, this type of packaging. Um, you know, there was already a fertile field, I would say. There's really a, a coordinated group of stakeholders to interact with government. And that obviously speeds up things and also creates a more ambitious outcome, right? Because government doesn't constantly have to try and balance the interest of, of a variety of groups. The, the groups have already done that amongst themselves. And so we're, it's actually really exciting that now there's um, legislation in the making that will create a deposit scheme for beverage containers. Um, for plastic beverage bottles and beverage cartons, so liquid cartons, uh, also sometimes known as one of the brand names, which is Tetra Pak. Uh, so that's really exciting that that's in the making. We're trying to still create, you know, enlarge the scope or at least a future scope. Um, we're trying to, you know, make it even more ambitious if we can. But uh, that's that's coming. Uh, that's coming soon. And the reason why some of the other legislation that's uh, happening around the ban on single-use plastics, for example is faster uh, is because that a ban is a lot simpler. This deposit scheme has a lot of moving parts. There's a big role for, for industry itself in there. So government has to be very careful in how that's uh, being drafted to not stifle competition, to not allow uh, for corners to be cut or not too many you know, little back doors where several parties could could um, take Sneak advantage in. of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, currently, Helga, are there any sort of regulations regarding these drink packagings? Is there a sort of standard um, that uh, these businesses use? So there's there's none from an environmental perspective per se. All of the the regulation that exists is obviously there for, or not obviously, but is there for uh, public health reasons. So we should absolutely not worry about what we put. 
um, against our lips, if you want to say so, um, here in Hong Kong. That's that's all well regulated. The only concern that would I would say still exists there is that we still allow PVC labels on the on the market, and that is both from an from a public health perspective and from a, an environmental perspective. Really, there should be a no go. That should be banned. That's one of the few things where I would say there should be an outright ban. There's perfectly good technical alternatives in the market. Um, there's uh, it's destru- the the process of producing the PVC is is nasty from an environmental perspective and a health perspective, and when it ends up in the recycling stream, um, it actually destroys the the PET, um, and it, you can't sort it out the way some other things you can. If you have a two different resins, two different kinds of plastics, for example, in the cap and the bottle or the label in the bottle. In most processes, you can sort those out. The PVC one is very hard to remove, and it destroys the quality of the PET quite dramatically. Yeah, so, gen- generally no speaking, are the general public quite aware of the different types of plastic? I mean, we've been doing the show for for, for so long, and yeah. I learned so much from, say, Marcy, you know, my colleague on Trash Talk. And every time they talk about yeah. plastic, um, the, people are just not so aware of of the one to seven, and then seven actually means thousands of others. And in a way, you know, in a way, we shouldn't have to be right. It should be easy enough for a consumer to to do the right thing without having to be a chemist. <laughs> um, the there's there's other things that we can pay attention to. So so again, the PVC label, yes, we should avoid buying those, but should we be the ones checking the label for is it PVC or not? No, they should just not be on the market. That would be an easy one. For other things, there's there's things that we can pay attention to um, that are quite simple, even without deeper knowledge. For example, um, less packaging. You know, obviously we can have thinner packaging, thinner walled packaging. There's brands on the market um, that have um, uh, lightweighted their bottles, which is not easy feat for Hong Kong, given the harsh logistics that a lot of this has to go through. Um, there's, you know, smaller caps, for example. If you if you compare brands, you'll see that some of them have already lightweighted the caps. There are um, not buying colored bottles. So colored resins, it's not that they're not recyclable. It's just that there's so few, relatively few on the market. So there is not a good market for the for the recycled material. And as a consequence, uh, recyclers will not do as good a job on them, um, you know, just because of pure economics. So try and avoid those Um, and labels, larger labels make it harder to recycle the bottle. uh, just simply because they hide in some of the processes, they hide the material that's behind it, and so the bottle will be missorted. So smaller labels um, is for sure better. And of course, I mean, I should have started with it, but you know, not buying a plastic bottle to begin with, if you can avoid it, is obviously better. If you, uh, if it's for water, for example, there's lots and lots of uh, refill options now in Hong Kong, and there's more every every month. Um, the water in Hong Kong, also your tap water, the water in Hong Kong is drinkable. The water at the water mains um, meets and, and even surpasses the, the WHO standards for water drinking water quality. So there's nothing wrong with it. If you're worried about your particular building, um, because it's a very old building, for example, then you can have the water tested. You can ask your um, the landlord also to have the water tested. But there's way too many of us that are drinking bottled water for the wrong reason. Like we worry about the quality when we don't have to. If you don't like the flavor, then add a filter, for example, but you really do not have to buy uh, bottled water. And of course, you know, I think this is something we're going to see as well is to have more um, refill options for flavored uh, f- flavored uh, drinks as well. There is already on the market in some 
in some uh, countries. So I hope we'll see it here as well. I'm often blown away by the amount of bottled water that I see people buying um, at supermarkets. Yeah. Um, you know, do the old-fashioned way, boil your water if, if, uh, if the... Oh, that, that doesn't help for... Me- no, because the concern is heavy metals and that doesn't do anything for heavy metals. I see. If anything, I don't... Then know, the filter... Concentrates, but yeah. yeah, the filter would be better, but most buildings are... My building is built in 2015 or something and I also see water... Whenever I see people, people carrying water, water, I'm like... Can I ask you a question? <laughs> and what's so there's more education to be needed. Because yeah. they're worried or they just don't like the flavor. No, of... it's really worried. Like the, the last few people I've talked to is because they're worried about their health. And like, no, oh, you're fine in this building. Yeah. <laughs> um, our, our school, for example, the school where my children uh, go to has water fountains. And, and I can see new parents coming to the school being totally amazed that there's water fountains. Like, no, no. Yeah, we had water fountains at our school as well, you know, all the the kids. Yeah, the parks have them now, and and a lot of them are getting upgraded as well, because sometimes people are concerned about hygiene, people touching their mouth on it, but there's more and more of them, uh, where was I now, in one of the parks where there was a beautiful... You know, with, with water refill, a bottle refill, and a, and a, just one for drinking from, but in a better design so that your mouth doesn't touch it. And it was even with a dog bowl one, I think. So, all facilities are, yeah. are available. Um, speaking of hygiene, I think the pandemic was really um, a, a bit of a standstill for for many industries. Did you find that with um, with with plastic or with mm-hmm. uh, drinks consumption as well? Um, I'm can't Sorry, recall uh, now. Yeah, so whether the consumption itself, yeah. how, how that was affected, but definitely it had an effect on, on some of the programs. So um, Drink Without Waste uh, had obtained uh, funding from the recycling fund, so government funding to run a collection program for bulk collection. So working with the, the cleaners, uh, for example, to collect bottles. Um, and that program was highly successful, by you know far surpassed um, the targets that we had set up uh, together with government. But... Um, was you know dealing with all kinds of delays and, and complications because of COVID. Um, it also stalled a bit the discussion around uh, taking back beverage containers through retail, for example, because if we're already trying to keep everything as clean as possible, does a retailer really want to see things coming off the street back into the store? Right, it's kind of counterintuitive in a, at the moment when you're trying to keep viruses out. Um, so, so this, and and I, I'm a bit concerned that you know Hong Kong is quite hygiene focused, and that will have a longer term effect again. So this bout of COVID will have a longer term effect on how people deal with their waste, whether they're willing to touch it or not. Indeed, whether they're willing to refill. The water fountains were closed for a very long time. So, you know, for understandable reasons, but we've done a lot. That's one of the activities we've been doing, you know, letter writing campaigns to government, to the various different government agencies to make sure that um, they're getting reopened as quickly as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm often baffled that, you know, big companies don't take back the bottles. Are, are they reluctant to or have there been talks for them to, to take back these bottles? Or- yeah, so they are. There are. So, so that's the, the idea of the deposit scheme is that you would take back uh, the bottles uh, and and the reason why you add a deposit to it and sorry maybe should have explained that a little bit better um, you add a little incentive to each bottle that's sold so that people can get you know are incentivized to bring it to a collection point uh, in order to get their um, their 
there's there's a small incentive back, back. Yes. And so that's one thing that we had done through the Re Recycling Fund project. There's a continuation um, of a similar project, so where we're focusing on bulk collection, but also on more and more consumers directly uh, in Tinshuai. Uh, please go and check it out. Um, uh, that is with with the beverage industry. Um, and um, Swire, for example, has had, Swire Coca-Cola has had their reverse vending machines. I don't know if you know what that is, but yes. it's these, it's like a vending machine, but it takes your bottle back instead of um, um, selling you one. Um, so it takes your bottle back and it gives you an, uh, an incentive. Um, that one is without a deposit, but uh, you still get your incentive and that's completely funded by Swire Coca-Cola. And now, of course, since since Wire has done has um, started that program, we now also have a government-funded uh, re reverse vending machine program. Can't remember how many we have now—120 or something already in Hong Kong. But according to our calculations, and as I said, we try to everything as fact-based as possible to to inform policies and and, and public campaigns also correctly. Um, it's it's really to um, um, we would need about thousand. 200 of those machines to really get it to where people are, which is expensive. You know, it, it really has its function. It, it works well. It's clean. It's easy for retailers, for example, to deal with. Um, but it's expensive if that's how you want to build out a collection network. Whereas other work that we've been doing on what we call um, a small material recovery facility. So a material recovery facility is a is a collection point where you then sort um, sort materials like mill mill um, for example are they yes they don't do much of the sorting but they're already processing right but then in in other countries it might be um, it might be where you bring all the recyclables the mixed recyclables you know for example some American states they mix all the recyclables and then the the MRF as we call it the MRF um, has a um, you know has a, a technical capability to sort out all these recyclables. Now, what you see here in Hong Kong is that we have such a excellent use of uh, or informal use of the common spaces. Uh, Helga, we might, I might have to stop you there. Yeah. Can, can you continue a little bit after the 11.30 news? Mm -hmm. Because there's still so much we'd like to, to oh, talk sure. about. Uh, we're chatting uh, with Helga Vandenort from Drink Without Waste, uh, a little bit more about uh, single-use uh, packaging and also the overall uh, waste reduction from bev beverages. Uh, do stay tuned with us on Welcome Back to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Friday morning. Uh, this morning we're talking to Helga Vandenort, who's a strategic advisor to Drink Without Waste, which is a local charity uh, dedicated to reducing single-use packaging and also the overall waste reduction uh, from beverages. Helga, just before the news, we were talking about sort of sorting facilities or, or, the, or the lack of uh, available mm -hmm. spaces uh, here in Hong Kong. Um, yeah, how, how does it compare to other places and how would you describe the, 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 the sorting facility scene here? Yeah, sure. Let me pick up again on, on the MRF, <laughs> the Material Recovery Facility. So in, in, in some jurisdictions, you'll see really large facilities with lots of high-tech uh, features to do an excellent job on sorting these recyclables. Here in Hong Kong, we may be able to find space for that. We may be find willingness to dedicate space to that. Um, but before we get to that point even, there's so much opportunity around the informal use of space that's already working really, really well. And we're, we're definitely in favor of, of continuing to work with what works already, the, the habits that people have formed. Um, for example, there, there's a large, large number of street cleaners, building cleaners here in Hong Kong um, that are already 
they have a formal activity which is dealing with the waste of the building of the neighborhood. Um, and, and often we see are already adding on an informal activity which is dealing with the recycling, right? So very often they're not paid by their employer to pull out the cardboard, for example, yet they do because they are getting paid for that cardboard. Um, so what we've seen in through the neighborhood um, uh, subsidy scheme that we had uh, worked on with the recycling fund is that there's actually an ability, that was what we wanted to test, is there an ability and a willingness to also do that kind of collection, that informal um, activity for uh, bottles, for plastic bottles. And that was hugely successful, um, but we saw a couple of of models that worked better than others. For example, if there is already a a, lo a fixed location where cleaners can take their recyclables, most often at the moment it's cardboard and, and metals, um, but if they can do that and also take their bottles there, for example, that actually um, it works well for the neighborhood, it works well for the cleaners because they know where to find it, when to find it. There's a, re a fixed relationship with, um, with the person running that, that collection point. And the collection point typically has an, an understanding with the building uh, management on, on you know when they need to be out of there, when the truck can come in to pick it all up, um, how long they can, can run it for, etc. So what you see is that these type of multi-fraction, multi-types -type, of waste or recyclables work better. The ones that have uh, you know a fixed time and place, either permanently or, or you know on rotation, but uh, work better. Um, and also the, that relationship with the building management uh, makes a big difference. So that's something actually we're we're working on right now, as well as this kind of rewarding and highlighting the good relationships because it can make all the difference between you know not being viable as an activity and and making you know making a good additional uh, income out of it. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Establishing good relationships can really facilitate the logistics of, of it all mm -hmm. and, and the collection. Um, I want to pick up on something you mentioned just now, and that is space. Um, is there not a lot of space dedicated um, for these sorting facilities? Why is that? Uh, because space is tight here in Hong Kong. It's tight. That's what we always hear. You know, space drives everything. Um, Would it work sort of less? Central? Could you could you put them in sort of um, outskirts, uh, uh, outlying islands, or but then you've got the transportation. Yeah, of it, it's not yeah. one or the other. It ha waste collection needs to happen at all levels. So the first mile matters. The la you know the the consolidated uh, volumes matter. Um, so it, it, what's what's key is that as we are developing new neighborhoods, right? If we're talking about northern metropolis, if we're talking about uh, Lantau and so on, we must make waste management and recyclables management part and parcel of the planning. So in buildings that is already happening, actually, there's already a, a GFA allowance for um, for waste rooms and, and, and waste management spaces. That's in new buildings. Um, but at the neighborhood level, that is not happening enough yet. Um, we're dealing with real volumes here and we're dealing also with if we want to have higher recycling rates, not just for, for plastic bottles, but for any of these materials, we are dealing with uh, you know, a, a necessity to keep flows separate, right? We can no longer all run it in one bin and, and get the bin out um, at the end of the day or multiple times a day. And, and that needs to be accommodated also at the neighborhood level. And then we can start thinking about the large facilities. And we do have some larger facilities now, for example, for plastic bottles, there's an excellent uh, recycling uh, facility in um, Eco Park, 
uh, New Life Plastics that is, you know, it's doing a great job, but you need to be able to fill it up. You need to get the bottles there, right? So, and yes, um, islands are as such not a bad idea. There's plenty of locations that use, you know, boat-based, ship-based traffic um, or transportation to, to deal with waste, right? Yeah. Um, finally, um, what else are you working on at the moment? It seems like, you know, there are lots of different initiatives, uh, different enough. things in the pipeline. <laughs> yes. Um, because looking back, you guys had a very successful campaign, like you said, back in 2020. Um, you need to top that. <laughs> yeah. So there's, at the moment, there's still a lot of work happening with the government directly um, on, on getting that legislation into place. There's still a lot of technical um bits and bobs that need to be sorted out. Um, there is the, um, there's a lot of work now taking off with that is more um, collector oriented. So around this, this, you know, valuing and recognizing spaces for for collections or so that whole collection network, getting that off the ground. Um, we'll keep working on on validation of the recyclers itself, because I think if you want to summarize it, right, the, what needs to happen, and you hear this so often in Hong Kong, I do not recycle because I don't believe that if I, even if I do the right thing, I don't think that it's actually going to get recycled, right? I hear it time and again, we've actually, you know, we've done a proper uh, survey on this uh, with, with, a, with a surveying agency, and this is a main, main concern amongst those people that do not recycle. And what we want to get to is, in our case for, for plastic bottles, but we need to get to that for everything across the board in Hong Kong is, if I as the consumer do the right thing, I need to have the confidence that everything that follows on my right, me putting it in the right bin, that everything will lead to that item actually gonna get going to get recycled. And that's that's one of the things that we're working around is this creating this, this chain of, of custody all along the, the value chain to make sure things um, things do get recycled, so uh, that's the kind of the the big the big scope of it. Uh, and within that, it means you know working with government on the legislation, working with the collection network, and continuing also consumer campaigns, consumer oriented campaigns. To, for example, you know what we discussed here, right? We we've done a lot of work on eco design uh, or design for recycling, which was specific to Hong Kong. That's important that it's taking into account what abilities we have here in Hong Kong. How do we now turn that into guidance for consumers and how do we spread that more more broadly? And thank you for letting me talk about it here today because you know hopefully people will remember the thing about colored bottles, the thing about big labels, um, big caps, etc. It's all in the noodle, Helga. Uh, it's all in the noodle. Um, and it's true. I think Hong Kong needs a, a big campaign because I grew up in Hong Kong in sort of the 80s and the 90s and we had a massive, uh, you know, bring your own bag campaign. And it's sort of, I remember watching it on the TV and just it really is ingrained in our uh, culture for certain generations to really bring um, our own bags. Do you think that's possible for something? I mean, ha should we be bringing back some sort of campaign relating to bottles and, and recycling and even refusing it? You know, the best way is just to refuse it in the first place. But if you have to, there are ways that you can do to, to recycle them. Um, uh, should we be bringing back a public campaign? Yeah, so the, you know, right now, the the public campaign around bring your own bag has been, I don't know, say complemented or supplemented by the bag levy, yes. right? So now there's a, a formal disincentive to not bring your own bag. Um, 
not BC, bringing your own a, bag. But yeah, but it was already, sorry, I, I don't have the data, but mm. I remember sort of, it, it was already really ingrained in us without that uh, incentive, monetary incentive. I'm not saying monetary incentive isn't a good thing and it you know every little helps but that should be the 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 second part kind of, of the, it. the stopper yeah, and, yeah, yeah exactly. the different level yeah no I, I i do think that there's there's plenty of ngos that are having this on their agenda and and, and creating these campaigns and and public outreach um i think what stuck with people back in the 80s is these you know these government jingles and you know i've come across a few yes. of them and the i think you know, exactly, yeah, yeah lapsack chong and now you know the same for the color the, the three color bins right that yes. is something that people actually have in mind you know blue for paper yes but, you know, that's how i learned my yes my your cantonese is very good your cantonese colors um but but so so that's the benefit of doing a, a government campaign is that you really can you know make it very consistent and Behavioral change science shows that the main main component for behavioral change that's been neglected, especially also in, in, in the environmental field, is is consistency. Right? Consistency over time, consistency over space, what I do at home, what I do in the office, what I do on the street should all kind of jive with each other, not different patterns and different colored bins or different types of bins across the board. Um, and so so there's something to say for having government do another um, doing another campaign. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have lots of strong commercial forces on, you know, people need their plastic bags. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> we'll have to revisit yeah. plastic bags for, for, for another topic, Helga. Uh, yeah. um, so then we can also talk about the green, the new bags for uh, municipal waste charging. Yes, so we'll, yes, uh, I'll put that yeah. in, in, in the diary. Um, but remind our listeners once again, how can we find out more about Drink Without Waste? Are you on social media? And what's your website? How can we get in touch? Yeah, the... Uh, Website is drinkwithoutwaste.org. Um, it's Drink Without Waste on, on Facebook as well. Um, and, and Twitter and in, all not, sorts. No, but Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. yeah. And I I, you can follow me on Twitter if you yeah. want. <laughs> yes, and, and how can we find out more about your just, work, Helga? Helga Van Turnut. Excellent. I can put it in the Facebook under your uh, post. I will do. I'll add well, the link there. Thank you so much for your time, um, Helga, for, 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 your, uh, for, for your chat. And we've been chatting with Helga Vantenort, who's a strategic advisor to Drink Without Waste.